Nothing's better than watching kids worship the Lord. It is a beautiful thing. Getting to be around it all week and to see so many of you serving in different capacities and seeing the worship of children just gets my heart so excited. We're in this series called Unsung Heroes, looking at less familiar characters in the Bible that exhibit some sort of characteristic of, of faith that we can imitate and then reveal some sort of character trait about God that we can then trust in our faith. And when I think of unsung heroes, it's people that have had a formational impact on someone else, but perhaps because of their small role, their brief role, they had been forgotten. I think I look at Kids Week this week, it's just filled with unsung heroes. And as I looked at the group of kids that I was journeying around this week with, I said, you know, they're probably never going to remember my name. It doesn't matter if they remember the name of Jesus. If they remember Jesus, who they were introduced to, they were built up in, the love of God for them. Who am I? It doesn't matter. There's a wonderful quote from Charles Spurgeon that I just love. It's formational for me in my role here on staff. Spurge said, pastors should be ready to preach Die and be forgotten. I said, that's great. That's all I want to do is preach and then die and no one remember me if they remember Jesus. Raise your hand if you remember your first grade teacher. Raise your, keep your hand raised if you remember also your third grade teacher. Remember all your elementary school teachers and the principal of the school. Probably homeschoolers are still raising their hand. Uh, my kids have been homeschooled, so don't worry about it. But think about it, you just pan that out and think of coaches, assistant coaches. Do you remember the paras that were in your school that formed you? Probably can't remember all the names of the people that have an integral role in our formation, not only as men and women, but as disciples of Jesus Christ. Perhaps we don't remember all of them because of their brevity in our life. Perhaps we wish we could remember them because of their impact, but we just remember them as coach, teacher, mentor. Our unsung hero that we'll briefly look at this morning is by the name of Philip, and we find him in Acts chapter 8. So if you've got your Bibles, let's, let's go to Acts chapter 8. Acts is in the New Testament, and it follows the Gospels. The Gospel writer of Luke began to write of all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach in his Gospel letter of the life of Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection. Acts is all that Jesus continued to do through the witnesses of his disciples as they transformed people's lives, transformed communities, and turned the world upside down as people came to faith. And Jesus gave this commission in Acts chapter 1. He says, hey, you're going to be my witnesses. You're just going to speak about the things that you have seen and heard and experienced. And you're going to do that in Jerusalem, home base. Culturally near and geographically near. And then you're going to go to Samaria and Judea to the ends of the earth. Ends of the earth being geographically and culturally far from you. And they hung out in Jerusalem until they received the Holy Spirit. And until a great persecution broke out. When they began to suffer as Christians, it began to scatter as witnesses. So Acts chapter 8 opens up. 
It says, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So what gets Christians out beyond their cultural and geographically familiar areas is persecution. Suffering. Suffering is actually the grounds in which motivates believers in their joy of the gospel to go and share it beyond their immediate area. Chapter 8, verse 4, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. You think if they got scattered because they were persecuted, they would stop talking about the thing that's causing trouble in their life. But no, it's so real. It's so transformative. It's the living, rejoicing hope that they've experienced. They can't help but talk about it everywhere they go. One of these men is a man named Philip. First he went to the Samaritans. And now we find him on an unusual mission. Something that God himself has archetyped. It says, now an angel of the Lord, in verse 26, said to Philip, rise and go towards the south. To the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Probably this abandoned, destroyed, conquered city of ruins. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. He was obedient. And there was an Ethiopian. And this is different than the country of Ethiopia today. Being an Ethiopian is a title for someone who's a black African in the empire of Ethiopia. South of Egypt, probably through the Sudan into modern day Ethiopia... There was a mighty kingdom in which Rome didn't even try to come and conquer. In fact, Rome just saw them as a mighty kingdom to have a trade treaty with. And so there is a black African, an Ethiopian, and a eunuch, someone who's been castrated, sexually altered. A court official of Candace, meaning that he is a high standing in the royal family's palace. Candace isn't a proper name, it's a title, like president. Candace is the supreme ruler of Ethiopia, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He's a treasury secretary. He's the CFO of the company. He's a really big deal, but he doesn't belong to the family, which is why he's a eunuch. If he's going to have close encounters with the queen, with those who are in the royal family, then this was a high cost of having that role, that you would be castrated. So there wouldn't be any temptation to do anything with the royal family. So there's this black African from Ethiopia, probably a two-month journey to Jerusalem, who is well-educated, who is well-accomplished, and he is, you're going to find out, searching for the true living God. He wants to be a worshiper. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So somehow this man who has great wealth has purchased for himself a scroll of the book of Isaiah. These are not common. You don't just go down to your bookstore. There's no Amazon to grab a Bible in your favorite translation. These are created at a high cost. And so he has a scroll of Isaiah. And he's reading the scroll of Isaiah in his chariot. And it's probably not just a single chariot. It's probably more like a carriage. That would carry a driver himself, maybe one other or two other people. And he's traveling back home, reading the prophet. And he was returning to the chair, sorry, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join 
the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? Now, it's not as though the chariot's parked over there. It's that it's on the way back. And so if you're going to visualize what's happening, Philip's there on the road, and the Spirit says, okay, go run up next to the chariot. And so Philip's doing this. Like, hey, how's it going in there? I see that you're reading. Do you know what you're reading about? And so he's running alongside. The Spirit says, go run up to, get close to, journey with for a moment. And when you're reading in those days, you're reading out loud. And so he hears him reading this section from Isaiah. Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself, speaking of Isaiah, or about someone else? The question the eunuch has is, Who is the servant? Not what is he doing? Who is this one that's going to fulfill everything else I've been reading in the book of Isaiah? See, there's a lot of hope for this African who's a eunuch in the book of Isaiah. Last week, our unsung hero was Grandma Lois. We talked about generational faith. Here is a man who will never, ever have children. In a day in which you get your value based on the generations, your descendants. And so his value is lost when he dies, he thinks. Except when he reads the prophet Isaiah, there is great hope for all kinds of people. So he's reading out of Isaiah chapter 53. In chapter 52, just before this text, it says, The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of God. That God's going to put his salvation out there to the ends of the earth. Where is this man from in the mind of Israel? The ends of the earth. Ethiopia in those days is considered the ends of the earth. It says the salvation will reach out to the furthest away from Jerusalem. Chapter 56, perhaps he's already read this. Chapter 56 has this beautiful promise. Verse 3, let not the foreigner, those who are outside of Israel, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord, who has converted to the Lord, who now belongs to the Lord, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, now this man is finding himself. In the prophet's writings, let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs, to those who can never have children, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenants. Those who love me, who follow me, who identify themselves with me, I will give in my house 
and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Imagine being this African. Salvation would come to the ends of the earth where I live. And the benefits of salvation being in the household of God with generations of God's family is for me. Because of a suffering servant. Who's the servant? Who's the one that salvation comes through that these promises are realized from? That's his question to Philip. So back to, checks, back to Acts chapter 8. He asks this question. Who is this one? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. From this scripture, he then begins to tell him the good news, the gospel. Of how Jesus Christ came to fulfill everything that was promised. That the Messiah would fulfill. That Jesus came, lived the life, died the death, resurrected from the grave, just as the prophets promised. He has fulfilled it. He has pulled it off. Jesus is the suffering servant in whom salvation is found to the ends of the earth for all people. He begins to tell him of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. So there must be more of the, the conversation than just who is Jesus, but what does it mean to be a disciple? And what are those first steps of being a disciple? And there they come along some water, perhaps a ditch that has been filled with the rains. And he asks this question. The eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Just, just as Jenny said this morning, this is not what saves you. Jesus saves you. This is the first act of obedience to say, I'm a follower of Jesus. It's the outward sign, the visible sign of the inward reality of faith. He says, what prevents me? Does anything prevent me? He's probably asking this question because he just got back from worshiping in Jerusalem. And in this long journey to get to Jerusalem to worship with God's people, you know what he would find out? He couldn't go in. He would have to stay outside in the outer courts because he was a eunuch. And there are all these rules and regulations for, for various reasons to portray the holiness of God, but eunuchs, those who were physically altered, could not come in to the worship of God. And I wonder if that's in his mind as he asks, is there anything that prevents me? Me? I mean, you know me. And there's Philip to say, if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what you have done, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, nothing prevents you from receiving the grace of Jesus Christ. That's the goodness of the gospel. Nothing prevents you from receiving Jesus Christ and being baptized. And so what do they do? And he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spear of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. And Philip goes on to be another evangelist in another town. And so they never get to see each other again. There's a brief moment in time. I wonder if he even remembers his name. 
But he was the mechanism that God used to bring the good news of salvation to this black African from the ends of the earth. Philip is the unsung hero, is he not? Who does three things. He's, he's willing to follow God's leading. You ever feel that nudge from God? Like, speak up. Say something. You can tell when, when people are leaning in to spiritual conversations. He says, just speak up. You're not the agent of conversion. God is always the agent of conversion. You see God's activity all over this. Why is Philip there in the first place? How does Philip know to go talk to him? It's because what God is doing, okay, God is always the agent of salvation. It's not you, it's not me. Which is a huge relief. Like, just take that burden off. You don't have to have all the right answers. You have to say it in such a way as it's pithy and it's creative and so that it's convincing. No, it's just you be a witness. You be a witness. I love what Elijah said this morning. I want to be a witness. I want to, I want to show the world that I'm a Christian. God's the agent of conviction and transformation. We're the witnesses. So he's responding to God's nudging that you go here. Okay. So what's the character trait of faith that we can take from Philip is are we willing to respond to God's nudgings? Like, like invite them over for dinner. Ask them to come to the house. Ask them how they're doing. Tell them you'll pray for them. The second thing he does is he begins by asking questions. I love this about Philip. He doesn't begin by accusing him and telling him of all of his faults. What does Philip do? He, he asks questions. What are you reading? That's a great posture for us to have as Christians, is to be inquisitive of where people are at. He takes him right where he's at. Then Philip, this is verse 35, then Philip, starting with where he was in Isaiah, began to explain the gospel. Like Philip just takes the eunuch right where he is and begins to explain the good news of Jesus Christ. That's a good call for us, to start with questions and then to begin where people are, not where we want them to be. Figure out where they are. And then from where they are and the understanding of God, their experience with the church, with Christianity, from there begin to explain the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he, he anticipates some response. I mean, he's led the eunuch to this point of, of knowing at least the first step is baptism. So the eunuch is asking, can I be baptized? What keeps me from being baptized? We should expect responses when we share the gospel with people. Maybe they'll say, I don't want anything to do with that. You say, okay, that's all right. You might just be part of their journey because God is in pursuit. But are you willing to speak and are you anticipating a response? Are you willing to start where they are, not where we want them to be? That's how Philip witnesses. And I think that's how we can witness. The reason we can witness that way is because who God is. I just want to point out just real briefly four characteristics of God that we see here in the text. Okay, Four characteristics of God that we see in this text is that God is pursuing the one. He goes after the one. Jesus said, God is like this. He's got a ton of sheep that meet up in churches all the time. And then he leaves the 99 and he goes after the one. This is the perfect example of how God is demonstrating how he leaves the 99 and goes after the one. There was amazing conversion in Samaria with Philip. And he says, Philip, we're not staying here. We're going after that one. That one who's traveling back from Jerusalem, an honest seeker and worshiper, we're going after him. Because God cares about the one. You're the one. God really cares about you. And I don't know if you, you haven't been reminded of that recently, but the Lord sees you where you are. And he's after you. 
in his kindness and love is pursuing you. That it might lead you to repentance and turning into him. He's after the one. God's love knows no ethnic bounds is the thing that we see here. These two couldn't be more distinct. There's a middle class Jewish man. And then a well-to-do, supreme, authoritative, leader, black African eunuch. If you're going to have these two hang out at a dinner party, they would never introduce themselves. They wouldn't. Two totally different walks of life. And here's the beauty of the gospel. God desires that all people would be in the family of God. You see, you know, the Bible doesn't talk about different races. There's one race. It's the human race. You belong to the human race. But God does speak about how he has put us into nations and tribes and tongues and ethnicities. And the family of God is the most diverse family that will ever be experienced on the planet now and the age to come. It knows no ethnic boundaries. So if there's anything in our hearts that is resistant to a group of people, you are resisting the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is driving to bring together families from every tribe, tongue, and nation on the planet. And so it knows no ethnic bounds. God's family is for all people. We often talk about those who are downcast and out, those who are poor and impoverished. But this black African, I mean, this is the CFO of a mighty country that Rome doesn't want to mess with. That means that people from all different socioeconomic classes are welcome in the family of God. All kinds of people are welcome in the family of God. And that God's grace is given through his son. Who is the servant of Isaiah? It is Jesus, the son of God. The one who came and died and was resurrected on the third day. According to the scriptures that you're reading. So that's the character of God. That's the witness of Philip. And just, just maybe for those in the room who have yet to receive Jesus Christ. You might be like the African. And I think he has a posture that I would encourage you to have. That first and foremost, he's a seeker. That you should, you should be a seeker of these things. That you look around the world, we talk about kids, week. look at the creativity and the beauty of God. There's something that made us seek it out. Don't stop seeking. The second thing is be willing to be helped. See, when, when Philip runs up to the chariot and says, do you understand what you're reading? It's amazing that he's reading in the first place. It means he's a very educated person. What does the average educated person in our society want to do? Receive help? No. If you ran up to the average American in the back of his chariot, said, do you understand what you're reading? No, but I'll figure it out. Thank you very much. I'm in the chariot. You're the one running, man. But he doesn't. He has a posture of humility that says, would you help me understand? So when you're seeking out the truth, be willing to have a guide. Be a learner. Don't be haughty in pride. Be willing to be humble in your ignorance. And then two, do something with this. Either fully reject it and walk away or fully embrace it and be baptized. That's it. Reject it or receive it. But do something with it. Respond in some way. The worst thing you can do with the Son of God, is be indifferent. Do something. Respond somehow to the good news of the gospel. Baptism 
is the union with Jesus. Paul says this in Romans 6, that we are baptized into his death. Like we're immersed into his death. His death was our death, so we'll never have to die that kind of death. That's the underwater. And then the coming up is, then we're also unified. We're, we're baptized, immersed into his life, so that his life will be our life forever. And whosoever believes in the Son of God will be saved. It's a beautiful thing. Let us go be like Philip this week, being willing to share the good news that we have with those that God has placed us around that are leaning in. Can I pray for you? Father God, I thank you so much for a congregation of incredible women and men, young and old, who are passionate about the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would continue to use us as imperfect as we are to reach those who are on the outside, who live at the proverbial ends of the earth, who we would never rub shoulders with if it was up to us. But because of your leading, we love to share the gospel. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.